Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. If you're visiting us today or have forgotten what we've been doing, the last two Sundays, Murray and I have been doing a live banter and we discussed in the first week the political context behind the book of Jeremiah, looking at the big players that were there, Egypt, Babylon, and in the middle we had Judah. Last week we looked at the theology of Jeremiah, which is his message, which was to preach a message of uprooting, tearing down, but also to build and to plant. And this week, we're actually going to explore the inner mind of Jeremiah. And I've called this week's message, A Broken Prophet. At the beginning of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is called a little bit like Moses. Moses at the burning bush. And and Moses makes an excuse. He's like, I'm not eloquent of speech. I can't do this. In a similar way, Jeremiah says, I'm too young to speak. I can't do this. And God gives Jeremiah this promise. He says, before, um, before you were formed, I knew you. This comfort he gives to him. And he says, do not be afraid. This is from chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. Okay? He's called this prophetic message to tear down, to uproot, to destroy, to replant, to rebuild. It's going to be horrific and Yahweh's promised him, do not be afraid of them. I am with you. I will rescue you. And if we look at the next slide, this is what Jeremiah endures. He's put into stocks. He's threatened with death multiple times. He's imprisoned in the guard court. Um, King Jehoiakim burns his scroll. And it's almost like spitting in his face saying, I don't care what you've got to say to me, Jeremiah. He's imprisoned again. He's thrown into a well. And then to top it off, at the end of his life, he's forcibly taken to Egypt. That's a lot of stuff to go through in one lifetime. And God's words to him was, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I will rescue you. Does that seem like rescuing? It kind of seems like the opposite. Now, I said last week, Jeremiah is a hard book to understand because its message isn't chronological. It's sort of a bit all over the place. But there's a pattern which the book was broken into three parts. And the first part is what some commentators call Jeremiah's prophecies. And in chapter, uh, that's right, Matt, can you leave it on that slide? In chapters 11 to 20, we're given here the inner mind of Jeremiah. These are his complaints. These are his laments to God. Now, we don't know when he was saying this, at the beginning of his messages or at the end, but from our author's point of view, understanding the inner mind of Jeremiah and the absolute wrestling he goes through, and then seeing what he faces, imprisonment, wells being taken off to Egypt, you see that he has come to the point in his life, he has determined that he will remain steadfast. Doesn't matter what's thrown at him, he will not pack it in because he's had that inner wrestling with God. And this morning I look at three passages, very, very briefly, unfortunately, but you don't want me to speak to you all morning. So, and if you do want to unpack a bit more, Murray and I did something a bit unusual. We actually recorded the banter session before this. So, 
Well, we unpack these three verses a bit deeper there. But let's look at the first one. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 11. Now, Jeremiah here, he has, he's prophesying, and we're told here, Jeremiah eleven eighteen, because the Lord revealed their plot to me, this is his townspeople, this is his own family and friends, I knew it, for at the time he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living. That is his na- that his name will be remembered no more. So that's the situation he's faced in. He's faced with death here. And so he's complaining to God. And God's response to him, which I quite love, which his response to God is, but you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. So his lament here starts off with complaining about, he's like this gentle lamb, I have done nothing wrong here. So he calls out to God for vengeance. That's probably not something that we would do as Christians. We sort of live with the Jesus mantra of forgive your enemies, but Jeremiah wants vengeance. Give me vengeance. Give me justice against my enemies. And then God responds to him. I won't read it all out for the sake of time, but essentially God says, hey, don't worry. I was at the end there towards verse 22. He says, I will punish them. Their young men will die by the sword, their sons and daughters by famine. Not even a remnant will be left to them because I will bring disaster on the people of Anoth in the year of their punishment. All right? So Jeremiah's complained. The city of Anoth want to destroy him. They kill him. They don't like what he's saying. He's recognized that God is a just, a righteous judge who will bring vengeance. And God promises that. Yeah, are we happy with that? It's, it seems to make sense. Praise or relent, God promises to deliver him. Okay, cool. But then he continues. Let's look at the next page. He continues complaining. You are always righteous, Lord. When I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you, uh, you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faith, faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. This is what I love about Jeremiah. He's complained. God's responded to him. And he's complaining a bit more. It's like, hey, why, why, are the, why isn't there justice? You're meant to be a God of justice. Why are the wicked prosper? Why are they prospering? Uh, even though God has promised to overcome the man Anoth, he's still complaining. And, not, and then God, love what he says here, at the end of verse 5, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how will you compete with horses? Hey, Jeremiah, you think what you're going through right now is bad? It's going to get worse, much worse. Trust me. Okay? So what the point of that is to show that human mind isn't just simple, isn't straightforward. You can complain, you can have God literally answer you, and you can still be complaining. All right, next slide, Jeremiah chapter 15. And I foolishly left out the last three verses, which, you know, would have been helpful. But 
Again, this is similar. It says, Lord, you understand, remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sakes. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me, and you have filled me indignation. This is just him pouring us out. Why is my pain unending and my wounds grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails." Now, Jeremiah was just complaining in verse 11, in chapter 11 and chapter 12. Now in chapter 15, do you see what he's done there in verse 18? What's he described God as? A deceptive brook. Deceptive brook. Like a spring that fails. He's moving on from lament to accusation. He's accusing God of leading him falsely. He's accusing God of not fulfilling what he, could, what he said he would. Remember back in chapter 1, he promised, hey, I'm going to protect you. I will rescue you. Then in chapter 11, he said, hey, I'm going to rescue you from the man of Anoth. But here he's saying, you're like a deceptive brook. And, and the context around this, Jeremiah is actually thinking, he goes, you know what? I've had enough. I want to give up this prophetic ministry you've called me to. I don't care that I'm like a second Moses. I don't care what you've done. I want to give up. And the verses I left out, these are quite important. But from verse 19, God says to him, If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. God's saying, hey, you need to repent, Jeremiah. I've called you to do this. Don't give up on your calling. And again, God gives him a promise in verse 21. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. See, Jeremiah complains. Jeremiah whinges. God responds. God gives him a promise of rescuing. This is what happens in these chapters 11 to 20. Just again and again and again. And then the last one, before we finish up with some practical application, chapter 20. This verse actually changed my life, but I'll get into that a little bit later. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. I've mentioned this verse a few times already, but that word deceived, it's in the context of like sexual deception. The overpowering, it's like being raped. Jeremiah is using this almost image of an abusive spouse. That's what I feel like right now. You deceive me into taking on this calling, to eating your words, to becoming a prophet, to tear down and to rebuild. And I was overpowered by you. I had no choice. And then he continues on with that lament. And, and, he's, um, and we'll skip forward a bit just for the sake of time. So, to the next slide, thanks. And after complaining a bit, Jeremiah gets to verse 11. He says, But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. 
Now here it seems like, okay, the, the last two verses, passages we looked at, Jeremiah complains, God himself responds, gives him a response. Here it's Jeremiah himself, he's complaining, oh, you've deceived me, I'm called a terror on every side, everyone hates me. But then he recognizes, oh, wait a minute, actually you are with me. You're like a mighty warrior. You're going to fight my battles. You are going to rescue me. And you think like, oh, wow, Jeremiah here has turned a corner. He's recognizing that God is here with him. And then he goes on, he says in verse 12, Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Woo, praise God. Wouldn't it be amazing if chapter 20 ended there? But no, this is just phenomenal. And verse 14, I just find amazing. Cursed be the day I was born. He goes from praise to curse. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? That's heavy, heavy stuff. How do you go from, you deceive me? You overpowered me, I'm caught a terror, everyone hates me, to, oh, the Lord's my warrior, he's going to save me, to, I'm literally putting a curse on the day I was born. I'm putting a curse on the man who announced my birth to my parents. I wish that I died in my mother's womb. And that verse 18 of chapter 20, that's the last first-person perspective of Jeremiah we get. Man, how depressing. And I promised we'd get some practical application from that. So so what do we learn from all this? Firstly, Jeremiah is not struck down with lightning. How many of you ever prayed to God saying, you are like a deceptive brook. You have deceived me. You have overpowered me. How many of us have done that? No, I don't see anyone. What that actually shows us is that Jeremiah, the prophet, can wrestle and argue, and complain. God doesn't zap him down. God sometimes gets stuck back into him, but God listens. Certainly, too, what it teaches us about the man Jeremiah is that human emotions are all over the place. It's not just a one sort of, I feel really bad now, Lord, and I've prayed, and now I feel magically better. It's like I've prayed, I feel better, but I'm still depressed. So I love, we get like a real raw insight into the human psyche. And why I wanted to go through these passages with you as a church is that each and every one of us need to build a theology of suffering and lament. Uh, Jordan Peterson, the famous Canadian psychologist, once said, if you're not going through suffering, you, you will... What's he say again? No, sorry. Um, if you haven't gone through suffering, you will... Um, you will, or maybe you are going through suffering, or you have gone through suffering. So in life, either we've gone through something terrible, we're going through something terrible, or we will. 
doesn't matter how how much we pray, how much faith we have, we still live in a fallen, broken, cursed world. That means we're going to face sickness, we're going to face death, we're going to face injury. And how are you going to respond to that? And sadly, as Christians, we have lots of cliches we like to say. God has a plan for your life. Well, at least you've had a good life so far. Well, at least he's in heaven right now. Just look ahead because God is pruning you for great works. Remember, friend, God is in control. You're never more safe than when you're in God's will. God will not give you more than you can handle. Or my personal favor, just have faith, brother. And I'll get a bit raw and honest right now. When I, we were going through hospital stuff at Asher, I heard pretty much all of those cliches in some way, shape, or form. And when I said about Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7 being a life-changing passage, when I was studying Jeremiah at college, and when the lecturer said that word that deceived is used in the context of rape, I was like, what? Ugh, how is that possible? How could a prophet dare talk to God with such horrific language? What I did was it started a journey for me to explore lament. And friends, today, I actually don't know if I'd still be a pastor, if I'd still be a Christian even, if I didn't have that theology of lament and suffering when we went in with Asher. Because I can tell you, there were some days where there was white, hot anger at God. I remember one day in particular, it was February 1st. I remember clear as day, Asher had been, he'd had his surgery, he'd been unconscious for two weeks, and he opened his little eyes and looked at us and just screamed in pain. And I was like, God, how can you allow this to happen? How can you allow this child and millions of children around the world to suffer like this? There was white hot anger. That's the only way to describe it. I was so angry with God. I just poured out my heart. When we sort of got through that and Ash's heart seemed to be doing well and he was getting better, then he started seizing out. He had hundreds of seizures in one day. Remember that day, I just stood out in the hospital garden and again, white hot anger with God. And truthfully, I use some very colourful language to describe how I felt with God right now in this situation. But you know what? I knew I could do that because I'd built this theology of lament. I'd studied the passages in Jeremiah. I knew that if a prophet like Jeremiah could talk to God that way, if he could have these ups and downs of feeling incredibly low to incredibly high to incredibly low, then I could do that too. In some ways, it's just so freeing for me to just be able to feel this white-hot anger at the injustice of a small baby suffering, to the injustice that we see all around us. That's why I love the book of Jeremiah. Because, friends, it actually encourages us just get angry at God. Be real. Don't bottle up your emotions. Commentator John Goldingay, he says, what's remarkable is the fact that Jeremiah's agonizing finds a place in God's book. God, in other words, accepted Jeremiah's complaints and protest and prayers for vengeance on his enemy. God let Jeremiah batter him on his behalf and encourages us to follow Jeremiah's example. We too may be called to stand as high as a rock, 
But if if we are, and we and if we are, and we but we're torn apart inwardly, that inward affliction can receive expression. Friends, that's so powerful. We probably do put on a bit of a mask. I'm very guilty of this. I'll say, oh yeah, it's all good, it's all good, but inside be wrestling. That's what that's what it's interesting about the book of Jeremiah is we see Jeremiah's internal struggles before we see his external struggles. We don't know how he feels about being chucked into a well, being chucked into prison. But we don't need to know that because we've seen the inner wrestling he's gone through. And friends, right now, there are many of us in our church family that are suffering. Sickness, death of a loved one, perhaps there's depression, you name it. What I give you today are tools to use to pray. If you feel angry, if you feel upset, then don't bottle it in. Don't go, oh, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings you've given to me. Say, Lord, I'm angry. I'm angry at this injustice that I am facing. Lord, I'm angry that my loved one is dead. Lord, I'm angry at the sickness I'm feeling. And that's okay. Pour out those emotions. This is what Jeremiah encourages us to do. There's a reason why they called him the weeping prophet. The guy weeps. The guy laments. Perhaps there's Aussie Christians who aren't very expressive by nature. I'm not an overly expressive man. It's hard to do. But we need to. We need to have that theology of suffering and lament. What are you going to do on that day when you do have to face something tragic? What did you do in the past when you had to face something tragic? And what are you doing right now when you face something tragic? Yeah, God gave Jeremiah that promise back in chapter 1. He says, hey, you know, I'm, don't be afraid of them, for I am with you. I will rescue you. Now, surface, it doesn't look like Jeremiah was rescued. But friends, we have something greater, a greater promise, a greater Jeremiah, Jesus, who, like Jeremiah, who weeped and weeped over the destruction of Jerusalem, weep for the sins of the people. I may not know why you're suffering. I still don't know a lot of the reasons for for the suffering that I've experienced in my life. But I know this certainty. Jesus Christ died and was resurrected, and the promises that of his return will happen. We just have to live with this tension, and that's okay. The Bible actually encourages us just just to live with that. Don't try to find an answer of everything. Just give out your cry to God. Ask for vengeance. Vengeance against the sickness you're facing. Vengeance against enemies you have in your life. Give it over to God. Don't bottle it in. Friends, I encourage you today, if you need to lament, lament to God. If you need to be angry with God, be angry. But always come back. He is a mighty warrior. He will rescue us. He will deliver us. Jeremiah didn't know anything about Jesus and what he would bring with the new covenant that Jeremiah foresaw. But friends, we know that. We know how the Gospels end. I'm going to pray for us now and invite the band back up. And I think we, there's a lot going on in the life of our church community. And if you need to spend some time praying, we're going to be up the back. I'm going to call the pastoral team and the prayer team. We're up the back just to pray with people. 
who need to find release, who need to just express to God how they really feel with the situation in life. Let me pray. Hey Lord, as we've read these passages, I've just seen the heart of Jeremiah and the absolute wrestling he went through, the place of curse on the day of his birth. Lord, that's some heavy, heavy language. Lord, to call you a deceptive brook, a deceiver who's overpowered him. Lord, that seems like almost blasphemy to us. But Lord, it's in your Holy Scripture. And so, Lord, I pray that for us as a church community, as we move forward in this fallen, broken world, to build those theologies of lament, of complaint, of being able to express to you how we feel deep down, but also to look for the hope that you bring us, the hope of being our mighty warrior, the hope of being our deliverer, the one who brings vengeance against all evil and pain and suffering, and the one who resurrected Jesus through your spirit, the one who will resurrect us and to be in the kingdom that you promised through your son. So Lord, I just pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Jural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.